The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings, one and all. Welcome to the Lembidopic Show. Uh, Saturday morning, if you're in the United Kingdom. Uh, Saturday evening, if you're in Australia. And all points in between, wherever you are in the world, I'm pleased that you've joined us here at the home of free speech, TNT Radio, uh, with me, Lembidopic. Get involved in the chat, and boy, the chat is definitely worth reading at tntradio.live. Uh, express your views. Uh, so much going on there. We had quite a religious uh, starting point with the Reverend Bishop Kai Dua, uh, a man who I challenged for what many would think of as a contradiction in being religious but still supporting war, considering thou shalt not kill sounds fairly unequivocal. Uh, lots of debate on that in, in the chat. Uh, also, uh, uh, the bishop's made quite an impression. I think he's quite popular with, with my listeners and my viewers. Uh, uh, Jane says, and I like this, this gives you an idea of the, the quality of the intellect of our viewers. Uh, Jane says, 100% agree they're using Hegelian uh, dialectic to implement changes in the law. Uh, they've sat on this scandal for years. Only now it matters. Uh, that is, of course, uh, the post office scandal that uh, Jane is uh, describing. Uh, to those around the world, you should know that the British post office system wrongly accused hundreds of postmasters and sub postmasters, people who ran post offices, which is really a vital service in the UK, of fraud. Some of them went to prison. Some of them lost their lives and all of them lost their reputations. What should be done about it? I wonder what you think. Uh, the bishop says that it's wrong for Parliament to intervene in a legal matter because it blurs the distinction uh, between the legislature and the judiciary. That's traditionally something uh, almost sacred to separate those two. What do you think? Uh, and I would point out the leader of my former party, Ed Davey, was actually responsible for post offices in the middle of the scandal. He didn't even bother meeting the main man, uh, Mr. Bates, who asked for a meeting, didn't even bother meeting him at the time. He's full of excuses now, of course. I suspect that error will come back to haunt him and to haunt the Liberal Democrats. Uh, other comments here, uh, lots of them. Biden's health could be put into one word. If you've never seen, if you've never seen the clip of Joe Biden saying, America can be described in just one word, Go and see it. You'll find it. It's very, very funny. It's not funny when you think about it, the fact he's responsible uh, for having the finger uh, on the trigger for the greatest nuclear arsenal in the world. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Donald Trump in a moment as well. Uh, lots of other comments coming in. Uh, do please keep them coming. I can't talk, uh, can't share them all, but you can read them all by going to tntradio.live. I'd love you to be involved in the conversation. Now, what about Donald Trump? It looks like he's got some potential uh, challenge coming his way. Nikki Haley bags an endorsement from a millionaire sponsor in a bid to replace Donald Trump. As you may have noticed, if you've watched the press and the news at all in the last year, Donald Trump is endlessly being accused of crimes. Uh, he's endlessly being accused uh, of things which should be impeachable. A uh, set of criticisms, accusations, legal cases as long as your arm. But still, he seems the irrepressible front runner as the Republican candidate. What is it about Donald Trump that makes him so unsinkable? Why is it that his opponent's efforts to impeach him 
only seem to make him stronger. Uh, I don't know much about this uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, maybe she's a great woman, but I make a prediction here on TNT Radio. She won't be the candidate as long as Donald Trump isn't legally prevented from standing for the American presidency. I expect he will be the presidential candidate for the Republicans, whatever his opponents throw at him. And more than that, I suspect there are many who feel that he is a victim of the witch hunt that he himself describes. I wonder what you think. There's no doubt that Donald Trump is a controversial character, but at the same time, many feel his attraction is the fact he isn't a dyed in the wool politician. Many feel that his actual strength is what others try to portray as his weakness. I wonder what you think. If you're in America, I'd love to hear your view. Uh, wherever you are, do you think Donald Trump is the worthy candidate? Uh, I'm not directly involved in American politics, but I watch it with great interest. I used to work in America, in fact. And my suspicion is that Donald Trump is indeed benefiting from the fact that people feel he is being treated unreasonably. My experience of the human race, both as a citizen of the world and also as a former politician, is this. The public do have a sense of fair play. And when they think fair play has been violated, by and large, they take the side of the underdog. That's why I think Donald Trump is doing so well. And that's why I think he'll become the next presidential candidate and has a good chance of winning as well. I asked here on TNT Radio, one of our former commentators, in fact, an American called uh, John Fine, if Donald Trump could run uh, the United States, even if he's behind bars. And the answer turns out to be yes. There doesn't seem to be any barrier to his presidential candidature. I want to know what you think. Uh, let me know your views. Uh, go to tntradio.live. Coming up uh, in a moment is a man who knows a lot about politics and knows by proxy somebody who knows Donald Trump. Uh, that's Roger Evans, former deputy mayor of London. Uh, he's also a conservative. I'll be asking him some potentially awkward questions about his own party. Uh, I know he speaks the truth. I met him a few days ago and we had a candid conversation. Let's see how we can go with that. And you can also put your questions into the chat if I have time. I shall ask them on your behalf, including Holly, about the next general election. All of that with me, Lembertopic, here on The Lembertopic Show on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Joining me now, it's Roger Evans from London on TNT Radio. Roger, great to see you. How have you been? Hi, Lembit. It's, uh, it's good to see you. I've uh, climbed out of bed this morning. It's pretty cold here in London. We've got frost. We've almost had snow, so... Um, um, so it's uh, it's going to be a chilly weekend here. Uh, but you're going to have a very hot hour on TNT Radio, I can assure you of that. And I, uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it. You climbed out of bed, you part-timer. In, in Greenwich <laughs> Mean Time, it's 11 minutes past 11. How can oh, you find so much I time to rest? I, I climbed out of bed some time ago. I'm not wearing my pyjamas doing this interview, but uh, you know, back at 7 o'clock... It was it was pretty icy around here. Part time as still I was up at five. It's only because oh. I can't sleep. I was so excited about the prospect of having you on the show. That's what kept me up. Uh, let me just start, first of all, by asking you to explain what sounds like a pretty interesting job under Boris Johnson. You were deputy mayor of London. What did that entail? 
Uh, yeah, well, I was uh, a member of the London Assembly for 16 years. So I actually did eight years from the uh, the inception of the mayor and the assembly when Ken Livingstone was the mayor. And I did eight years when Boris Johnson was the mayor. And uh, what we do in London is particularly we look after transport and policing. Uh, for me, it was a bit of a dream job. Back when I was about seven years old, I used to have a, a map of London Underground on my my wall. I was a bit of a trains nerd, uh, which is more remarkable when you consider I lived in Yorkshire at the opposite end of the country from but from London. So to actually have some responsibility for running that and for leading London, which is a fantastic city, was a great privilege for 16 years. You know, a lot of people, they never get the opportunity to do a job they enjoy and get paid for it. And I had that for a long time. So I was incredibly blessed, actually. And I, Lisa, and I love doing it. Lisa suspects, and I quote her, I think he is wearing his Paisley gym jams. Just slapped on. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually wearing a a, a <laughs> tropical shirt underneath here, which is truly remarkable in the yeah, in the weather we have. But I've got a couple of them, and they're made of quite thick material. They're actually incredibly warm. So, uh, you know, I'd recommend if you get a, a a chilly spat, tropical, thick tropical shirt with a sweater on top does the trick. No trouble. Yes, there's quite a lot of chat about your sartorial elegance now. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it. Um, uh, I'm going to let me just start with this question here because um, there's so much coming in on, on the chat. I'll, I'll miss it if I don't see it. Uh, does Roger think that Sadiq Khan, who's the current mayor, Labour, is a highwayman? Is a highwayman. Um, mm. I, I think this must be related to well, the charges he's brought in for the ultra-low emission zone around London. Um, and the problem with it has been that he's extended the charge beyond the original zone in the centre of town. The, uh, the old zone, people will quite often point out, was introduced by Boris Johnson. Uh, and I was there when it was brought in. But it was intended to deal with the centre of town, which was very polluted. And Sadiq has extended it out to parts of town which are much less polluted. Um, and therefore, the suspicion must be that it's a money-raising exercise, of course. So, so that would, in fact, make him a highwayman. Uh, the other thing which uh, people don't remember, of course, is that when we introduced the original low-emission zone, um, this was back in um, 2009, 2010, round about then. And because we got the financial crisis and businesses were in trouble in London, Boris actually delayed the introduction of the zone by, uh, by I think, up, up to 12 months. And there was lots of complaining from the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats that we made that delay. But so yeah, it did make sense when you considered that people actually had to pay to buy new vehicles. And Sadiq should have done something similar here. Um, you know, people are struggling in London and it's a large amount of money for them to find to pay every day for uh, vans which they use in their small businesses. And also for a lot of charities as well. You know, charities are, are struggling to actually replace their vehicles too. So it's it's made Sadiq very unpopular. There's been a lot of vandalizing of cameras around London, mm. uh, a lot of uh, attacks on him on social media. 
And it's probably the first thing that he's done. Um, frankly, he's not done much, but it's probably the first thing he's done as mayor, which has been really unpopular. And uh, of course, we've got a mayoral election coming up later this year. So potentially that's going to endanger his position. He's now must be looking over his shoulder at uh, his Tory challenger, Susan Hall, who might possibly, even despite the party's unpopularity nationally, be able to pull off a surprise win in London. Uh, Skippy says uh, Khan is Dick Turpin. Holly says he's a robber. Uh, Skippy adds he thinks he's Robin Hood, except he's robbing the poor. And Blodders says, no, the problem is that the charges were ever implemented. Uh, I have to say, I'll give you a harder time in a, in a few minutes' time about other subjects, but I have to say the ultra-low emission zone, this, this tax on pollution seems to me an utterly venal attempt at raising money because I don't believe that lives are being saved by this. A few people, of course, with ex extremely serious uh, breathing uh, conditions may be helped. But by and large, I think, Roger, this is this is fake politics and a money grab. And uh, the fact that uh, Sadiq Khan ignored the majority view of a consultation he himself held uh, which said that most people in London did not want the expansion, suggests to me that he is not a Democrat. Am I being too harsh? Uh, well, unfortunately, of course, a lot of consultations we see now are done to tick a box and say they've been done in case of legal challenge. So they're not actually a genuine dialogue with the public. Really, the politician doing the consultation doesn't care what the responses are because they know what they're going to do anyway. They're just doing the consultation so they can't be challenged in the high court over it. Um, it's like you know, an, another example of the, um, the box ticking craze that we seem to have got into where uh, everything is documented, but nothing is done. And uh, it sounds to me like uh, most of your uh, your listeners and viewers are on to Sadiq Khan and and they feel that it's a a cash grab as well I, I think they're broadly correct uh Holly who does seem to be psychic because he's predicting just about everything you're saying at the moment uh uh is very skeptical very skeptical about Khan but the issue here for me is Boris Johnson your mate actually did go along with the ultra low emission zone when I don't think there's any scientific justification at all for it. Bear in mind, when you go into the underground, you're exposed to hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of percentage points higher particulate matter than at street level. So if uh, the ultra-low emission zone is scientifically justified, which I think it isn't, in that case, it makes it worse. Khan's killing more people by sticking you on the underground. Well, that would be the case if people were transferring from their vehicles to... The underground but i'm not at all sure that that's actually actually what is happening um i think people are just uh are just deciding to make their for business are just deciding to make their journeys outside london rather than inside london instead and that ultimately is going to be damaging for business in london damaging for the economy so um you know, I think it's a bit of an own goal. I'm pleased to see the Conservative candidate committing to work, reverse the low emission zone extension. And uh, I hope that she wins in May. I'm going to ask you more about her in a minute. Uh, just a bloke who asks questions says, Khan continually 
refuses to provide evidence of any positive impact of the ULES, the ultra low emission zone and congestion charges. If there were at benefits, he'd be all too keen to provide the evidence. I have to, I have to say I agree with you, just a bloke. And um, hidden in plain sight says evil little man going to have a ready made spot in the next government and in hell right between Boris Johnson and B. Liar. I'm going to ask you about Boris Johnson in a minute, Roger. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I can tell that my dear viewers and listeners expect me to really grill you a little bit about the performance of the current government. Uh, so I serve notice in a few minutes. I'm going to do exactly that. Do keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, if you're wondering where I'm getting the messages, go to tntradio.live. I love having a dialogue with you, and you can criticize me as well, of course. Uh, Red's asking, is this chap a climate crisis enthusiast? I'm going to ask Roger that in just a minute. I think uh, regular viewers know my skepticism about all of that. Uh, but I'll give Roger a chance to share his opinion on that as well. Uh, and also about the GLA budget. That's the uh, Greater London Authority budget. Uh, have your say here on tntradio.live. Uh, go to the chat. Uh, you can also find the phone numbers. You can call in. If I've got time, I'll get you on board uh, and let you have your say directly. Uh, Roger Evans is a former Deputy Mayor of London. He's a Conservative. He knows Boris Johnson. I'm going to ask him all about that here on the Lembertopic Show on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as I reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media, like Telegram, who have reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. People of Earth, welcome to the home of free speech wherever you are. You're most welcome to join me here on the Lembit Opic Show. Three hours of views and comment. The only thing you have to bring to the show is your opinions, your point of view. I don't tell you what to think. But hopefully you get enlightenment from my guests who come from across the political spectrum. Joining me round this hour, uh, we've got Roger Evans, former conservative politician and former deputy mayor of London under Boris Johnson. I'm going to ask him about the character of Boris Johnson, one of the more effervescent politicians in recent political history. And also, I'm going to ask him a question which has been put to me in the chat about whether he believes in a climate crisis. Uh, let's start with that, Roger. I don't think the human race is wrecking the climate. Do you? Um, I, I I think it's it's worth coming to this from three from from three conclusions that I've that I've drawn having looked at this. First, first of all, we know the climate changes anyway. 
And we know it changes quite a lot. That's why we don't have trilobites and dinosaurs and the various other things that have populated the Earth before. The climate has changed. Things have gone, gone extinct. New creatures have evolved. So if humans weren't here, would the climate change? Yes, it, it still would. So the question then becomes how much of humans contributed to that change, which is natural anyway. Now, if I look out of my window, um, I can't see very much that would have been there if we hadn't been. So everything that we can see has changed uh, due to our actions. So I think it's reasonable to say that some of the things we can't see will have changed as well. The question is, of course, uh, is the human contribution to climate change a, a significant one? Um, and there's an even bigger question to ask, of course, which is, um, and I, I, I don't think the science has, has answered this one at all, which is if we change our behavior, if we uh, you know, take ourselves back to the Stone Age effectively, will the climate change back? And I don't think that anyone has uh, has made that case. A lot of this stuff is based on on models. And that means that people are feeding in data and making assumptions. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like the um, like the, the data around the spread of, of COVID, which we saw a few years ago based on models as well. So well, I, I think I think humans have some effect, but I think we need to be very careful before we yeah, we we damage ourselves. You know, particularly when you consider that quite a lot of the uh, the big polluters in the world now are emerging economies or growing economies: China, Russia, uh, a lot of countries that are becoming more industrialized, more middle class. So, I think I think the UK's contribution to CO two was something like one percent. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it too much, Not and we should bear in mind. You know, we can set an example but it might not be an example a lot of people want to follow. It's a Saturday morning here in the UK, so I'm going to tell you what I think, Roger. I'm going to try to influence you. I know you're the contributor, but I'm going to do this anyway. That's 1% of 3% of 0.04%. I don't think that the human impact, there must be some, but I don't think the human impact yeah. is even measurable. And what I think we're doing is causing the damage you inferred for no benefit, especially when what are called the BRICS countries, and you mentioned some of them, India, Russia, China, they haven't got the slightest intention of cutting their carbon dioxide. And a good thing too, because it's actually a fertilizer. It's actually a, a life-giving gas. But the damage that you're talking about, uh, there was an electric bus fire during the week in London, and no one could put it out. They just had to isolate the bus and shut the street. Is it really sensible for us to career down a path which your former boss boris johnson seemed to support which is the wholesale electrification of our society something i don't even think we can do well i think that the concern i have about uh, electrifying all our transport in this way is um you know are we generating enough electricity to make it work so when people take their electric cars home and plug them in to charge them up is the grid actually going to be able to cope with that? Because actually, we've cut back on on production, and we've got uh, uh, you know more renewable production, which tends to be yeah, a, a bit up and down. Sometimes you you've got power, sometimes you haven't. So I, I think it's a very good example of wishful thinking amongst policymakers rather than joined up thinking. 
And I, I'd like to see a bit more joined up thinking and a bit less wishful thinking about this. Really. Hemming, Hemingway agrees with you. He says double-decker uh, bus burst into flames in London this week. Here's what happens when you enforce vast transformative change for entirely artificial reasons. I have to say I agree with him. Uh, I won't go into this much further because you're not really on to talk about the environment. Next week, I'm hoping to get uh, something of an expert uh, about this, somebody who's very doubtful, in fact, about whether uh, we even have record levels of CO2 at the moment. But let, let me talk about something that you really are an expert on, and that's Boris Johnson. Uh, just from a human point of view, I know him, but you know him better. What was he like to work with? Um, well, a few things about Boris Johnson. The first is that uh, he was an absolute political rock star, which is very unusual in the business that that we were in. So if I went out with Boris Johnson campaigning, uh, which we often did in Romford Market, we go and go and, and meet the uh, the stallholders and the shoppers. And it's not just people from Romford. People come from all over Essex on a, a Saturday. It would take getting on for two hours to get from one side of the market to the other because everyone wanted to talk to him everyone wanted to be photographed with him uh, you know my my role as deputy mayor was often actually taking pictures of him with other people using their phones i became a bit of an expert on the uh, on mobile phone handling um so so he reached people in a way that uh, that most politicians don't now does that translate into votes? You know, he used to say to me, look, you know, look how popular I am. I've got all these people taking taking pictures of me. And I'd say, but are they going to vote for you? You know, a, a lot of people just like to be pictured with someone they know so they can show it to their friends rather than it translating into, into support. I, I found that out to my cost in 2010. <laughs> I was far more yeah. photographed than the man who beat me, I can tell you. Well, back in, but I'll tell you something else that happened in 2010. I stood for election in, in my election in 2008. I had 12 opponents. It was, uh, it was an absolute bun fest. But one of them was someone who'd been on Big Brother, who was very well known. And I know uh, some of my, my guys said to me, you ought to be a bit worried about her because she's out there in, in Ilford High Street getting lots of photographs with people and signing autographs and she attracts a crowd wherever she goes. Uh, come election day, uh, she came last. She came 14th out of the 14 people who stood. She, she was beaten by an independent who spent the election campaign in uh, Romania with a broken leg. So, uh, yeah, the, the support that you get because you're well known on, on television or in the media doesn't necessarily translate into votes. Uh, I, I once uh, stood uh, against a trot, trot, Trotskyist called Simon Pottinger, a lovely bloke, actually, and he was very popular in student politics, but I defeated him, uh, leading to some wits saying, uh, it's amazing how history repeats itself. Uh, Trotsky was beaten by an ice pick. Uh, Potty was beaten <laughs> by an opic. Uh, oh, so I very, thought it was quite clever. <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions about Boris. I did promise, I always promise to be polite, mm. but i got to ask these questions because listeners and viewers want to know these things. Do you think that Boris Johnson was the architect of, the architect of his own demise? Uh, and I ask that because his crime to some was trivial, but by claiming he hadn't broken his own lockdown rules, it looked bad, at least in his own party. What's your honest assessment about why Boris oh, Johnson was, was he, prime minister? Was, you know, I think I think one of the things that he should have been aware of, and I'm sure he was because he's uh, he's not a he's not a stupid man. He would be aware that following Brexit, 
Uh, yeah, that, that effectively painted a target on his back. A lot of people were out to get him. And in a situation like that, I think you need to be very careful about what you do. And he wasn't. So I think the uh, you know, the phrase, he was the architect of his own demise, is a very accurate one. It's a phrase that I've used on occasions to, to talk about it as well. He has, um, to some extent, a disregard for... Uh, four rules, which obviously came back to bite him in the case of the the parties. Before I was deputy mayor, I was uh, chairman of the London Assembly. So I used to be presiding officer for mayor's question time. And it was quite difficult to control Boris's contributions because it was it was hard to get him to obey standing orders, to uh, to, to participate in the way that uh, that the the assembly needed him to do mm. for a statutory occasion. So, but I absolutely see that argument. I think it's correct. Uh, he also had the most successful general election result since Margaret Thatcher. Will the Conservative Party rue the day that he was pushed out? Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course. Uh, the Conservative Party rues the day since Margaret Thatcher was pushed out. So it's it's a little bit like history repeating itself. Um, I, I think that election in 2019, there were, were a number of factors which won't combine again, which were actually very helpful to the Conservative Party at the time. Um, one of them, of course, was Jeremy Corbyn, um, who were you know, people, a lot of a lot of the the people in the media and the people who run things didn't like Boris Johnson, but they feared Jeremy Corbyn, which meant that uh, their, their fire was turned on the Labour Party mm. rather than us for that election. And and the other thing, of course, was was Brexit because they went into that election, uh, the Labour Party, saying that they were going to reopen the issue of Brexit and. Uh, and, and potentially have another referendum again. And people were just sick of it. They felt that their opinion was being ignored. So there are a couple of factors there which led to well, the massive boost in uh, in, in votes that, that we got and the 80-seat 80, the 80 majority. I'm a bit disappointed that uh, the party didn't do more with that majority. I think some of that was down to, well, to COVID, of course, which effectively tied the government's hands really for a couple of years um but since then there's been a, a, a massive level of infighting and it's all it, it's all been a bit chaotic frankly and i can understand people's disappointment i mean you know, I, i've i've been around knocking on doors and, and delivering leaflets during that election in 2019 and i'm a bit disappointed as well uh, uh, you say that the covid lockdown tied the government's hand didn't i uh, Boris Johnson's hands. He continued to party, as we all know now. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think I, I think I mean about achieving useful things. No, I know. Than, uh, it was than, it was it, it was it was an open goal, Roger. I had to kick the ball there. Uh, just a couple of comments. Yeah, uh, let me just get yeah, you a couple of about... comments and come back to you. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, I just want to say, Maz, okay. Holly says, uh, so Mazzy uh, says that she's on an electric bus. Get off now, Mazzy, I suggest. Uh, Skippy says, I bet the Wimbledon villagers aren't happy. Took them longer to get home yesterday because of the fire. Uh, that's true. Uh, Holly is suspicious of you. She, go, she goes, uh-oh, climate believer, climate crisis believer. 
I'll, I'll, if you want to, you can defend yourself on that, but I'm just putting it out there. Uh, you wanted to say one more thing about Boris because I want to, after that, move on to, we'll skip uh, a couple of, uh, skip the 44 or 46-day Prime Minister, but on to Rishi Sunak. You wanted to say something else about Boris, though. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I learned about Boris quite fast when uh, when he arrived at City Hall was that his attention to detail wasn't particularly strong. I, I used to make a rule after the first time I met him, I'd make a rule that I had to brief him in five minutes or less. Otherwise, his attention would wander somewhat. And uh, I think that that will have been a problem particularly during the COVID crisis, because that was the sort of crisis that required the attention to detail and an interest in in detail. It, it was probably the worst possible thing that Boris Johnson as prime minister could have faced, actually. Um, and I think a lot of prime ministers would have struggled with it. Possibly we needed someone like Theresa May or someone like Gordon Brown to deal with that. But of course, we don't. unfortunately, we don't know what's going to come up when we vote for for people, so uh, we can't plan ahead in that way. Well, uh, I, I I have to tell you that I'm being encouraged to really push you, especially on climate. People are very suspicious. There's a jolly suggest you're squirming. Blodders are saying, "Go on, Lembert." They really want me to go in for the charge. Holly suggests that electric vehicles are charged by lightning. I suspect <laughs> she's being somewhat uh, um, prosaic there. Red says. It's a hoax. There is no climate crisis. I have to say I agree with Red. Uh, Roger, sometime I'll take you out for lunch and explain why I think that. Uh, Lawrence is saying, what happened to Lemon Opic? I used to like his show. Lawrence, tell me what I'm doing wrong. I'll I'll try and put it right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not happy. But there we go. I do believe in free speech. Uh, if you do tell me what you uh, what you don't like. Uh, Blodders is defending me, saying I'm on good form, but enough, enough about me. Let's move on to the current prime minister. Rishi Sunak, many think he's a middle manager. Few believe he can win the next general election. What's gone wrong? Um, I think he's inherited a very, very difficult position. You know, Post-COVID, um, there's a, a, a big financial deficit to fill, and, and he's got to make some very tough decisions. Um, it's a bit like the position John Major found himself in, but at least he had... You know, a full term to uh, to correct that, and Rishi will will have something like what two years, two and a half years to work uh, to to do it. So he's got a he's got a very sticky wicket. Um, I, I think you know in an in an age where we've become used to politicians who've got a a degree of popular touch, like uh, like Boris Johnson, he perhaps lacks a bit of that. To that obvious charisma um but you know he's got a tough job i wouldn't want to be sitting where he is right now and i'm not sure why he wants to actually you know if i had that much money i'd be lying on a beach somewhere <laughs> uh my judgment is that rishi sulak's problem is exactly what you describe pleasant as he is as a person we both know him he doesn't have the common touch and i think he's going to lose most of those seats uh, along the uh, what's it called red wall, I think Labour will win them back, with the possible exception of Chesterfield. I think Chesterfield is an interesting case, and we're going to get the Chesterfield candidate on quite soon because I think Ben Fluke, the the Tory candidate, has got quite an interesting story to tell. But by and large, unless there are local circumstances like in that case, 
I just think that Sunak will be remembered as the man who halved, or more, worse than halved, the size of the parliamentary party in the in in in, uh, in Westminster. What's your prediction? Um. Well, I I I don't do uh, predictions myself. I'm an, I'm an, an ex politician, not a current one, so uh, uh, it's not a responsibility I feel I have. But if you look at the predictions of Conservative Home. For example, uh, they are showing a majority of their uh, their supporters now, their readers, are predicting a Labour government, and that's broadly a conservative, positive uh, website. So uh, I think the way things are, you know, it'd be very it would be very nice to uh, to deny gravity, but I think the way things are, there's going to be a change of government, and governments do change. They have to, we live in a democracy, so the other side have to have a go occasionally. Uh, so Rishi Sunak's probably going to have the election. I've been predicting it for October uh, 24. I think the latest is November. He's pretty much confirmed that. Uh, is there anything in your opinion that, and I respect your honesty, Roger, it would be easy for you just to come and toe the party line and you're not doing that. But is there anything you think that Rishi Sunak can do to win the next general election? And I'll put it on the table. I don't think he can. I, I think it's incredibly tough. I think it's incredibly tough. Uh, I think if he if he can achieve some uh, some economic recovery, that will help. But I I don't. Yeah, it's quite a, it's a tall order to uh, to say that's going to win the election. It might uh, mitigate the damage, and that may be the uh, the game that we find we're in now. Um, I, I think for the longer term as well, you have to consider what a uh, what the alternative is what a labor government under starmer is going to be like you you and i will remember when tony blair won in 1997 that the the streets were crowded with people waving flags and cheering um, we're told now they were all labor party staff actually who were doing that but it was presented as being the you know, the triumph of the 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 british people and there was generally a feeling of optimism there was a pretty good economic legacy that they had um starmer isn't going to have any of that uh you know keir starmer with the best will in the world he's no but he's no tony blair he's a bit of a he he's a bit of a technical politician as well in the same way that rishi is so well they they may run out of honeymoon space quite soon too We've we've got a history in the UK, probably over the last forty years, of quite long periods of uh, of one party being in control, but things seem to have shifted with the rise of social media and populism. We may be looking at shorter periods of governance in future. Uh, Boris isn't getting a very good uh, rap here on the chat. Uh, he's got a disregard for rules or right and aversion to the truth says uh, hidden in plain sight a uh, blagger extraordinaire says skippy i think that's about boris rather than you uh i'm going to ask you a question red is being really insistent i'll do it red i'm going to ask you about covid i'm going to ask don't to answer yet we'll go to a break in a moment but i'm going to ask you if you believe uh that it was handled correctly and the mystery of excess deaths as well uh, and this isn't in the chat but what you said about the conservatives reminds me of something a conservative said to me recently he said there's nothing wrong with the conservative general election plan that a miracle wouldn't fix <laughs> i think that's probably about right uh we're going to go to uh, uh to see roger again in a moment i'm going to ask him about the next general election and his i think 
probably honest view about Keir Starmer. I don't think we're getting that much propaganda here. And uh, I want you know you to tell me as well what you think about the current government and the next government. Go to tntradio.live, uh, add your comments there. And Red, I will ask your question in a moment. This is the Lambertopic Show. This is TNT Radio. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare, to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. Lembet Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Lemon Opic with you for another glorious 75 minutes. Uh, this is the home of free speech. And on Saturdays and Sundays, you'll find me right here at TNT Radio. It's a real honor uh, to be on the station and a real pleasure to serve you in this way. Lots of chats on TNTradio.live. You can get involved in the chat as well. Uh, Red's really kicked off quite a long discussion about COVID. I'll come to Roger Evans, my guest, in a minute about uh, excess deaths. Uh, I just want to uh, say that uh, Roger Ritchie is not getting a particularly uh, uh, good rap here. Holly says, uh, Snake Sunak is a whipping boy. Quite right. Why is he there when he doesn't need to work? Well, you could simply say it's it's worthy for the multi-million pound uh, Rishi Sunak to be trying to serve the country. <laughs> that would be the opposite view there. Uh, Mogden says, not even voted for by his own party, the scumbag little rat. Bit strong. Mogden, but there you go. Maybe a lot of people agree. Uh, we'll find out at the general election. And uh, I want to come to this uh, this question about COVID because something that defined your former boss's reputation and sunk him in the end was his COVID performance. The two questions, I'll start with Red's first, actually. The two questions are this. The first one is, uh, what do you make of excess deaths? Many, including myself, believe that the real culprit was the destruction of our economy for no reason and the forced injection of vaccinations, uh, one of which actually negatively affected my health. Would you still stand by Boris's policy of essentially enforced vaccination and lockdown? Well, I, I think, I mean, for, first of all, yeah, I, I'm not someone who was in the room when those decisions were made, so I didn't see the advice which they they got. and. Uh, although we talk about science being infallible, this this stuff was the edge of scientific 
knowledge. So uh, what he will have had is different people in the room with different points of view and you know, having to make a choice with limited information and not knowing what was going to happen in future. So uh, the questions are, are, I think are, you know, should we have locked down earlier? Should we have locked down later? Should we not have, have locked down at all? I can see why that precaution made sense, knowing so as, as little as we did about COVID at the time. Mm. Um, and it's very easy to be wise in hindsight. And I don't think it's just the UK that is going to have to go through that process. I, I think everywhere will take a a, a look at, at how they handled it. I think if you if you look at excess deaths per population, the UK, I think, comes out somewhere in the middle of uh, countries that have measured their effectiveness. Now, I don't think that's good enough. I think we should have been somewhere near near the top. And if you looked at the uh, the data for preparation for a pandemic, which was being produced before COVID was on the horizon, the UK was supposed to be in the top five best prepared countries in the world for this. So uh, I don't think a performance that's middle of the scale uh, is a good reflection of that. And there are uh, in the in the old political political languages language that's used, there are lessons to be learned. Um, but a lot of this is about managing risk, which modern politicians don't seem to be brilliant at. So, you know, yeah, if you lock down, if you lock down absolutely and don't let anyone see each other at all or contact each other at all, you're, you, you, will, you will reduce the spread of COVID massively. This is the so-called zero COVID strategy, which I think we saw played out in, uh, in New Zealand. Uh, but uh, that doesn't take account of what your contributor was talking about, which is deaths and uh, and, and damage which are caused by the lockdown itself. And well, the really no that measurement that, of, of, of where that, that was going to take us yeah, to. So, I, I sorry, think I we needed to have a, a balanced, I'm going to a balanced approach I'm, that decision. Sorry, I'm being a bit rude, but I want to get down to that core point here. Uh, and I think that this is very well summarized by uh hidden in plain sight who says um well let me paraphrase it uh boris didn't take it seriously because he carried on parting and ignoring his own lockdown rules and it suggests that he wasn't serious about it and uh many people are saying now that we were scammed by a government which had matt hancock breaking the lockdown rules unfortunately for him on cctv and boris johnson and the people at the center of government breaking the very laws that were breaking people's lives. And in that sense, you could understand the rage, and I'm getting the rage here on the, on the TNT radio live chat, that we did as we were told, we put this muck into our bodies and the government didn't believe in any, in any of it itself. Uh, I, I think, yeah, as far as the lockdown is concerned and breaking of rules, I think it's unforgivable. Um, yeah, it's uh, I think it's pretty tough for someone for anyone who is in the government to defend that. And I wasn't in the government, so I, I don't see any reason why why I I need to defend it. Really, I think it was it was unforgivable. I obeyed the rules along with everyone else, and uh, it's one of those situations in which you are looking to the people who lead us for an example and they failed to provide 
that example. So, well, I, I can understand the anger of your contributors. I feel some of it myself, to be honest. It goes further. Hugh Edwards, who was the highest paid news broadcaster in the BBC, was telling us pretty much every day to follow the party line to lockdown. Turns out was trying to break the lockdown rules himself. Now, there's all kinds of other salacious gossip about him. I don't care about that. What I care about is the face of the BBC was doing the same as Boris Johnson, the prime minister, telling us to do one thing and trying to do another. Perhaps many there people feel this was the biggest crime of the BBC and government during the lockdown. Yeah, there were Sky journalists who did it as as well, as I, I recall. Not yeah, suspended. That's right. Um, and there just wasn't. I, th I think part of the problem is that the UK had never faced anything like this in in living memory, actually. And there was a lack of discipline at senior level, which should have been there. And I'm pretty certain in the in the countries that handled uh, this well, who are prepared for pandemics, you know, places like Japan, Taiwan, a lot of the countries in in the East. I'm pretty certain there was there was pretty strong discipline at the top level about uh, about this. And um, yeah, yeah, the government the government were to fault, but it ha were fault, but it happened in a lot of other places as well. It happened in the civil service too. So there are, I think, lots of examples of of breaches that took place and. They shouldn't have taken place and people should have been sensible enough to know that um, that this was all going to come out at some point and it wouldn't reflect well on them. I'm not pinning all of this on you and I don't want you to think that I'm trying to use you as a scapegoat, uh, but you know pretty much everyone we're talking about. Let me summarise the concern I feel uh, TNT viewers and listeners are expressing. We were sold a lie which the government itself didn't believe which Boris Johnson used to big up his own Churchillian stature. And the whole thing came tumbling down because in some Orwellian animal farm type way, millions of us tried to obey the rules. My mother died, not off COVID, but during COVID. So I hardly saw her because I was generally obeying the rules. And it turns out that like the pigs in Animal Farm, our leaders were ignoring them, including it turns out Keir Starmer, who forgot that he was having drinks with Angela Rayner and others in the north of England. The next prime minister, also smitten by the same hypocrisy to many. Yeah, well, I, 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 I lost people I knew myself during the pandemic, uh, some of them to the pandemic, some of them for, uh, for other reasons. So, well, so I, I you know, absolutely understand where people are coming from here. Um, I think the accusation that Boris saw as an opportunity to put it to be Churchillian is a bit unfair. Um, I felt that he was more like a rabbit frozen in the headlights, really. I think the the one the one thing that he was uh gung-ho about was the vaccine. And uh, you know, that actually that actually was uh, was a reasonable success in what was otherwise uh, a pretty grim picture. So, um, so I, I get where people are coming from. I didn't spend 
the COVID crisis in number 10 or with opinion forms or making decisions. I, I spent it locked in my flat, which you can see me sitting in now, um, not going out and uh, and not not making any money and not uh, not socialising with people as most people did because I took the, the rules seriously. Well, it's at least the duplex. You have a very nice spiral staircase as far as I can see. Uh, you don't know compliment what's uh, and I don't need to know that. <laughs> I trust your privacy as well. Uh, Mogden says something. I'm going to read this out because many, including myself, believe this. There were no excess deaths during the pandemic as flu disappeared. Excess deaths are occurring now when they should be going down. And uh, I, I'm not going to, you're not a medical expert. I know this, but I do believe now that the problem was caused by the cure, which actually has killed more people than the disease, I think. That's for another time. I want to move on to a last subject, and that's a word about Keir Starmer. The odds are he's going to be the next prime minister, a man who wants to ban petrol and diesel vehicles by 2030, a man who claims that he will right wrongs, probably tax the rich, tax private schooling. What kind of country will we have if the Conservatives lose and Prime Minister Starmer takes the helm. I think that's a that's a very big question. Uh, one of the things you 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 will probably remember, Limbit, sort of back in the uh, back in the eighties and nineties, they used to say we had a country where things were run by accountants. And you know, you remember the the famous phrase uh, that people know the the price of everything but the value of nothing. And what we've got now, really in the, Blake, in the wake of the Blair government, I, I think is a country that's run by lawyers. And we've got a, a situation where there is a huge amount of bureaucracy now to do pretty much anything. Um, and where a lot of our services are, and, and a lot of public, public facing um, activities seem to be designed more for the people who are delivering them than they are for the customer. So I think when Keir says that goes around saying, you know, things aren't working, we need a change, he is he's identified a problem. But I don't think the solution to the problem is just to throw more money at it. And if that's what Labour are promising, then they're gonna first of all, they're gonna struggle because the money isn't there. They're not going to be inheriting the sort of golden economic legacy that Blair did following uh, John Major and Ken Clark's government. But also, <clears throat> if you just throw money at the problem and that's not actually what the root of the problem is, you're going to waste that money anyway. So uh, I, I worry about Starmer's government because I don't feel that they're thinking about the root causes of the problems. And I think certainly if you if you go back and look at if you know, take a look at uh, at Sadiq Khan in London, you know, here's a here's a, uh, a Labour administration that's been in place for eight years. And most of what is happening there is really just pointing the finger whenever, whenever something goes wrong, rather than try to correct it, rather than try to reduce crime, rather than try to improve transport or improve housing 
Um, there's just a lot of finger pointing and blame laying and, going and on. And judging instead. by the chat, some people think you're doing yeah. the same thing. Uh, Roger, stop covering for these liars who may haunt you later, says hidden oh, in plain sight. Uh, have I, 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 have, no, no, have I, I done my, I don't think no, I've I think done I, that. I, I, I'm having you back because I do think yeah. that you've given an honest account and I'm grateful for you saying your, your views. That's what we're here about. I'm not here to hang anyone out to dry. And I'm really grateful for your time, Roger. Fascinating to talk with you. I really appreciate it. And I hope uh, listeners do too. I think by and large, uh, you've given an honest account and some of that was uncomfortable too. That's Roger Evans, former uh, Deputy Mayor of, of London. What, what wonder what you think. I'm grateful to Roger spending an hour with me and I think he's given a good account of what he thinks. That's what we're here to do. Coming up next, we have a controversial film director. I absolutely advise you to keep listening. What you're going to learn is not just fascinating, it's insightful as one director to another. I'm really looking forward to my conversation.